0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Genocide News Now, a news update from the Anti-Genocide Coffee Break, a multinational podcast, brought to you by the Lemkin Institute for Genocide Prevention. My name is Sarah, and I will be your host today. You can find us at www.lemkininstitute.com, as well as on Patreon, Spotify, and iTunes. All the news and action items mentioned in the podcast are available on our website. Now, let's dive into the news and catch up on the latest. The first piece of news today concerns the Republic of Artsakh, more specifically the Azerbaijani offensive into the Armenian enclave, which has led to almost 100% of the ethnic Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh fleeing into Armenia. The history of the relationship between Armenia and Azerbaijan is so complex that we hope to dedicate an entire episode to the topic in the future. For now, our aim is to provide an overview of recent incidents as well as their implications for the future of the region. As a brief reminder to listeners, Nagorno-Karabakh is an historically Armenian region that has been under the control of Armenians for thousands of years. For the past three decades, it was run as a de facto state with an elected government, democratic institutions and a small self-defense army. This was the case until Azerbaijan invaded in September 2020, starting the 44-day war between the two countries. This resulted in a Russian brokered ceasefire, according to which Armenians were forced to cede some territory to Azerbaijan, though not the full region claimed by the Republic of Artsakh, which was over 99% Armenian. Azerbaijan has consistently opposed Artsakh's self-determination and independence. Its current president, Ilham Aliyev, has made the total defeat of Artsakh a key component of his expansionist foreign policy. In December of 2022, Azerbaijan blockaded Artsakh, which cut the approximately 120,000 ethnic Armenians living in the area off from the only existing access point to the Republic of Armenia, and hence the outside world. This resulted in a humanitarian crisis that lasted nine months and began to result in the starvation of civilians by August 2023. As the world pressured Armenia to meet in peace negotiations with Azerbaijan's president Ilm Aliyev, Aliyev continued to threaten the republics of Artsakh and Armenia with invasion, a fact that was ignored by Western powers attempting to achieve a peace deal. An emergency meeting of the UN Security Council convened in August, but failed to produce any solutions. On September 19th, Azerbaijan's defense ministry launched a large-scale military offensive, which resulted in the deaths of at least 200 Artsakh soldiers and civilians, and concluded with the democratically elected government of Artsakh laying down its arms and accepting a Russia-brokered ceasefire in order to prevent massacre. Part of the ceasefire stipulates that the Republic of Artsakh must disband its government institutions, and that the Republic itself will cease to exist as of January 1st, 2024. The signing of the ceasefire brought people to the streets in the capital city of Yerevan. They denounced their president, Nikol Pashnian, for his failure to intervene on behalf of the Artsakhis, Despite language by Mr Aliyev on Azerbaijan on September twentieth, indicating that rights will be guaranteed for Armenians who wish to remain in the region, most Armenians, Arzakis and international NGOs are entirely unconvinced by such guarantees given the increasingly genocidal rhetoric used by the president toward ethnic Armenians leading up to the offensive. As of October 2, Armenian authorities said that more than 100,500 people had fled to Armenia from Artsakh. In order to provide a measure of support for those displaced, various countries and international aid organizations have pledged a total of 35 million euros to Armenia via ICRC as of October 14, 2023. After months of increasingly hostile language and actions towards ethnic Armenians residing in Nagorno-Karabakh, and countless warnings and reports put out by the Lemkin Institute and other human rights organizations pointing to the threat of genocide against Armenians in the region, This flight of Armenians from Artsakh represents a failure by international actors to prevent genocide by successfully advocating for the self-determination for the Republic of Artsakh. In fact, the Lemkin Institute is concerned that the international community, especially Russia and the Western powers, gave a green light to Aliyev to commit soft genocide in Artsakh in exchange for securing their growing security and economic interests in the South Caucasus and Central Asia. Next, we turn to Israel where a military offensive by the militant group Hamas allegedly took the Israeli government by surprise on the morning of Saturday, October 7th, killing more than 1,400 Israelis in the deadliest assault Israel has seen in 50 years. Horrific videos from Israeli civilians and Hamas militants circulated on social media, bringing the terror and trauma of this assault to all corners of the globe. For Jews in Israel and the diaspora, the assault was reminiscent of the violence of pogroms in Europe as well as the trauma of the Holocaust. Hamas has taken approximately 220 civilians, soldiers and foreign nationals hostage. Abu Obeida, a spokesman for Hamas, threatened that Hamas would broadcast the execution of one hostage for every instance in which Israel targets civilians in Gaza, though that threat does not seem to have been acted upon. Instead, Hamas has released four of the hostages. The militant group, designated a terrorist group by the US and other Western countries, has governed the Gaza Strip since 2007 leaving the over 2 million Palestinians residing there vulnerable to frequent reprisal attacks by the Israeli government. As the Hamas offensive unfolded, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu quickly declared Israel to be at war. A spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Forces announced the mobilization of over 300,000 reservist troops, the most in the country's history. Western leaders were quick to voice their unflagging support, giving a green light to all Israeli reprisal actions, including the current bombardment, which the Lemkin Institute and many genocide scholars have determined to be genocide. It is currently estimated that over 8,000 Palestinians have been killed since the conflict started, with children making up a quarter of those killed, according to Gaza Ministry of Health. That number is only expected to grow with every passing day. Israel's defense minister has called for a complete siege of the Gaza Strip, declaring that he has ordered no electricity, no food, no fuel, no water. In a Knesset speech, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu justifies this action by stating This is a struggle between the children of light and the children of darkness, between humanity and the law of the jungle. This kind of language is typical of attempts to dehumanize entire populations, and is a concerning signal for what is yet to come for those residing in Gaza. On October 12th, the Israeli government took the step of ordering 1.1 million Palestinians leaving in Gaza to move south from the besieged region, a request which was logistically impossible, as numerous international agencies were quick to point out. Based on reports from Al-Qansera, an Israeli strike into an area temporarily declared safe by the Israeli military resulted in the deaths of 70 people attempting to flee on October 13th. As of October 24, the United Nations estimates that at least 1,000,000 Palestinians have been displaced since the start of the conflict. Many Palestinians have stated that this offensive feels like the Nakba of 1948 all over again, the event that led to the displacement of over 750,000 Palestinians by Zionist paramilitary forces. Many of the displaced in 1948 ended up in Gaza. The Lemkin Institute is heartbroken for families in Israel and Palestine who have lost their lives or loved ones since the attacks began. We have condemned the violent actions by Hamas in the strongest terms possible and have found that Hamas has committed acts that are closely linked with genocidal intent. As the situation continues to unfold, we wish to remind the international community of Israel's superior military might and the heightened risk for genocidal activity in situations where a war is declared by a country with clear institutional and military advantage. There is no denying that the deaths of Israeli citizens over the weekend of October 7th were unjust and illegal, even in the context of Israel's brutal blockade of Gaza and the escalating attacks on Palestinians in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. However, Israel's response is also unjust and illegal, in bold violation of international law and highly suggestive of the crime of genocide. If it is allowed to send and punished it will further erode the rules based on the post-1945, international order, and usher in another dark era of might makes right. The Lemkin Institute therefore continues to call on the international criminal court to indict Benjamin Netanyahu for the crime of genocide, on the international community to demand a ceasefire, and on Israel's allies to use diplomatic pressure to bring Israel back to the peace table, where a just solution to the 75-year history of apartheid must be found. That is all we have for this episode of Genocide News Now, but be sure to tune in to future episodes and stay up to date on global news. Visit our website at www.lemkininstitute.com for more on our work in the field of genocide prevention. And if you would like to take action and make an individual difference, feel free to take a look on our list of resources on our Take Action page on our website. Thank you for listening and have a great day.